Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lessons of the Woods by 10 Point Whitetails. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me today I have our co-host, Kyle Weber. And we're not 100% sure what we're going to talk about at the time of recording this. We're going to figure that out as we go along. We've got a few ideas. But, like every hunter knows, there is a frustrating time in the spring slash winter. We're still in the winter, I think, here in Minnesota and probably Wisconsin. Quit tilting your head, you weirdo. If you're watching the video version, Kyle's gone off the rails. I don't know what we're going to do today. But there is a frustrating time frame where it's too cold and too much snow to go out and do stuff. But there's nothing to do that you otherwise. So that's kind of where Kyle and I are at. We don't really know what to do right now because we can't go out in the woods and look for shed antlers. Kyle just got eight inches of snow. He's going to get eight inches again tonight. And up here where I'm at, it's too dang cold most of the time to do anything. So we're in this waiting period. Is it would it be would it be right to call it a doldrums? Would that maybe be the right word? Have you never heard that word, Kyle? Nope. You've never heard doldrums. I believe it is a word sailors used when there was like no wind on the ocean. Hmm. A lull? You talk. I'm gonna Google doldrums. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> hunting, hunting in general is a 365 day a year process. There's always something to do. It just depends on how hard we want to really work. For example, right now you could be shed hunting. You could be doing some TSI timber stand improvements. You could do hinge cutting. You could be doing creating bedding. You can be walking the trails with snowshoes, packing it down to help them. Depends on what you're willing to do. In our case, in my case in Wisconsin, here's my issues. It's been warm. It's been relatively nice. But when it's warm, comes snow. February was relatively quiet. We had some warm days. Me and Flynn, my boy, got out, went shed hunting. Found a couple, which was really fun. Um, got to see where the, the trails are. We found bedding. We used our Onyx map to mark more and new beds so I can really get a better idea of where they're, where they're bedding. Um, but the next day it snowed and, um, last week within the last week, a big snowstorm came through 20 inches to the North of us, 20 plus inches to the South of us. We hit a weird spot where we only got about eight. And then now today it snowed again, and we're going to receive another eight by tomorrow morning. So shed hunting kind of gets hard. The snow is deep. If you get off a deer trail right now, it's to your hips. It's to your thighs. I mean, it's just, it's miserable. So this time last year, we were hinge cutting. I was, I was in the woods creating bedding. This year, I don't really want to wrestle around with a chainsaw. And if you, if you jump off the trail and cut at chest height, when that snow is gone, it's going to be above our head. So you're really not having a good judge of the terrain and what trees you want to drop and the height. So we are waiting. So things that I would be doing late season, which is checking cameras, checking trails, doing some hinge cutting, bedding issue, bedding work, is all on hold because of as much snow as we've gotten. Um, random fact for us, average for the year is between 70 and 100. We hit a hundred inches of snow before February. Ugh. So, and where where the property is, 
we're 100 plus inches plus the 20 some inches we got plus the eight we're going to get today so we're 130 140 inches and we have march which is arguably one of the snowiest uh months of the year because we get warm and then snow warm then snow um yet to go so we've already passed our average before february with two of the snowiest months yet left anyways so, i go did ahead. a quick google you know what uh kitson county minnesota where i'm at you know what our average snowfall is for the year on average what 39 inches <laughs> like a hundred is unheard of 75 that's crazy that you're, you're, you're gonna be over triple how much snow we get here but i will also say we get too cold to snow so you're talking about it warming up and snowing getting cold warming up and snowing we are often too cold to snow so some people actually look forward to the snow falling up here because that means it's finally warm yeah uh, but that last big system that came all the way through north and south dakota mostly north dakota uh through the twin cities and that went right by you we got nothing we didn't even get a cloud in the sky it missed us by like half an hour it's it's just crazy also doldrums is a real word i didn't make it up a state or period of inactivity stagnation or depression so i feel like that's an appropriate word for this time of year we're in the doldrums it's either too cold here or too much snow there now that's probably not true across most of the state uh you know southern minnesota is a little bit or a lot warmer than up here most of the time but they probably get more snow and southern wisconsin is probably the same way i mean i'm sure you've seen it too kyle but there's uh people in iowa are finding sheds and searching all the time southern minnesota they're out finding big sheds and post them on facebook and i mean we can go look but go dig through 120 inches of snow and tell me how many sheds you find that's well and it so i'm dealing with hundreds of inches of snow you're dealing with what i would consider extreme cold on a daily basis and when you ask what a deer does through this whole process, I actually had a conversation with a buddy of mine that I was like, do you realize how, and I'm very specific to our area, mm -hmm. to, to where my hunting land is. I'm like, do you realize how crappy our hunting is? And he was like, I don't think it's too bad. And we disagreed. I, I mean, I agree with him, but I disagree. So he says, um, excuse me. He says, it's not that bad. And I'm like, the deer population sucks, in my opinion, mm -hmm. compared to even by you, by Jared, by Madison, by Eau Claire, by Green Bay, where anywhere you want to point out, specifically in my area, the deer population sucks. He goes, yeah, but I always seem to find a Pope and Young Buck. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. He does, but he covers a lot of public land, mm -hmm. lots of it, and he finds one, and he finds quite a few big deer. But they're so hunted, they're so pressured that they're nocturnal. Gun season comes, they're gone. But we talk about the deer surviving these elements, and I really think that's what sets northern Wisconsin apart, and even northern Minnesota apart, for two different reasons. Mine's snow and cold, yours is cold. Um, but that's why we don't get big deer. Is the, the hunting pressure is a factor. But if they have miserable winters year in and year out and they starve and they suffer and they go to borderline death by February, March every year, they don't get to regenerate. They, they got to re, re 
put all the nutrients in back into their body before they can do antler growth where just two hours south if i drove two hours south there's less snow mm-hmm. there's more agriculture mm-hmm. so now them deer have more access to food they got less snow it's usually warmer even if even if south of me gets more got more snow like in this last storm they're warmer sooner mm-hmm. so for me Two hours south, which is 120 miles at 60 miles an hour. 120 miles south, it's a totally different element. And when you get two hours to four hours south, the deer hunting change. Now we're talking Buffalo yeah. County and Trumpelo County and et cetera, et cetera. World-class deer hunting. Michigan, upper UP. It sucks. It sucks so bad. From a survival aspect for deer personally driving through the up the one time i did it looks like a fun place to live honestly you're i mean off grid away from everybody we're not hating you upper michigan but from a survival pers- well kyle might be from a survival perspective of the white-tailed deer that's bad i spent three years as a youper thank you very much <laughs> i did not know so, that <laughs> no yeah, i went to college up there i was a youper i mean five minutes off the river <laughs> so um <laughs> But if yeah, if you go if you draw a line and I'm I'm if I go Fargo mm-hmm. across to Bemidji. Yeah, it's a northward angle, but yeah. Yeah. Slightly. Across to Bemidji, down to Duluth. Or I, I guess I don't know what's between Duluth Grand and For- Minneapolis. If you follow Highway Two, Grand Forks to Bemidji to Duluth is Highway Two. Okay. And then you go from there, I would go all the way down to Hinkley. Danbury, where the Jordan Bucks from, and then you go basically Highway Eight across, and I'm including the UP. Mm-hmm. That that environment is just is just brutal. It's it's what we're talking about: extreme cold, tons of snow, high winter kill, long winters, long winters. I mean, we ours kicked off in October. We got snow in October, so ours has been since mm-hmm. October, November, December. January, February, March. If we finish out March, it's six months of some sort of winter, cold, whatever. We don't finish till May. Right. No, I I mean, exactly that. Nine months of winter up here. Nine months of less than ideal conditions. But if you travel two hours south, it totally changes. And you see the deer hunting. If you take hunting pressure out of it, the deer antler, the age class, everything increases. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's and what we're dealing with is exactly that. So there's a lull, or what did you say? What was the word? Doldrums. 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 Do you but it's how hard we want to work. I don't want to go trudge through four feet of snow to no. hinge cut a tree. It's not going to be quality. It's not going to be done right. If it's really cold up by you and we hinge cut, the trees snap anyway. So you're not actually keeping the tree alive. Waste wasted a tree. Yeah, um, I'd say for the most part, you probably probably at least in my area. And, and that's something that people have to realize when we're talking on this podcast, at least to some area specific things, it's too area specific. Uh, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, but er- there's always differences to the rule in the yeah. world of whitetails. But and, if I were to hinge cut here, I have like a two week opening where at least for the property around me, that's all swamp, right? Uh, where it's not, it's thought enough to go out and do stuff but not so thawed that you fall through and get stuck. 
So we got like a two or three week opening in April where we can go out in the woods, whether it's with a four wheeler or on foot and do hinge cutting and stuff like that. Otherwise we're waiting until it greens up into end of May to early June. Yeah. And I want, I, I, again, with this podcast and 10 point white deals and lessons of the woods, we aren't in Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Southern Minnesota, Southern Wisconsin, um, Oklahoma, Tennessee. We're not in any of those areas where it's, I don't want to say it's easier. It's, it is. There's a different it, challenge. It, it, so, yeah, different challenge is probably a better way to put it. But there's whether you're looking at the, from a deer survivability standpoint, nicer weather, better hunting regulations, less predators. There's going to be something different there, and just about everywhere. But you know, we have these hunting shows and these and these people that post online and have social media followings. They're going to Kentucky and Kansas and Iowa and Illinois and hunting because it's. There's more there. We're talking about little old northern Wisconsin, a little old nowhere Minnesota. Pretty much. Where that's what we're talking about. That's how we're hunting. Big woods, swamp land, no egg for me, egg for you a little bit, but it's even then it's not really good egg. I mean twenty miles east of us is way different or west of us is completely different territory. Yeah. So we're a lot of things that we say, or or even when I'm excited about a deer that's I hang up here, I change, try to change these out every other week and change them like my underwear. But the other day, I had Ace up there. Every other week, like your underwear, bro. I turn them inside out. Oh, oh man. Hey, I, I shower once a week, whether I need to or not. <laughs> I can smell you from here. <laughs> the news podcast that smell um breaking news everybody so Kyle last week last a week last week with jared he's talking about 160 100 well he had like three in the 170s he had three in the 150s blah 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 thanks jared rubbing it in but i was excited about ace that was on the wall because and we said in that podcast ace compared to down there is a very similar challenging hunt to shoot a deer that's a 120 class, and I don't think Ace was, but 120, 130, 140 inch class deer here, I think is a tougher task than shooting a 140 inch deer down there. And if Jared can see 540 inch deer and pass them because there's a 170 inch deer to hunt, that's the same challenge as me passing up a bunch of six pointers for that 120 inch eight or 10 pointer. So, so I'm going to have a hot take here. This just occurred to me. Deer hunting is hard. Size of the antlers doesn't make it any harder or easier. You are both targeting the quote-unquote mature bucks in your area. And it's really boiling down to scarcity of those animals. So if scarcity of 120-inch bucks or 130-inch bucks in your area is, let's say, 5 for every 50 deer, 1 out of 10... And he's got one out of 10 up there that are 170s or down there, way down there. You know, that's, it's, it's not an easier hunt for him to go get a 170 because you're basing it off scarcity. I mean, it's going to be impossible for, almost impossible for you to get a 170 where you're at because they just, it's probably one out of a hundred. One out of a thousand. No, I, I, one out of a hundred is probably an accurate call because I have to go so far to find a hundred deer. Yeah, he meant he mentioned sixty deer on his. So he said he hunts a hundred acres. 
Yep. Because there's about 60 that are residential deer. You say by your house, there's 50 or 60 deer on a regular basis in the area. Yep. I have 10. I have four cameras out on the property right now. I can count the 10. And it's on all four cameras. I have 10 deer circulating 100 acres. And they're and they're occupying 400 acres of, of nothing. Or of just land. There's no there's no houses. There's no, you know. Mm-hmm. 10 deer. 40 acres so, per the deer. Huh? 40 acres per deer. And But they're congested into one spot. Yeah. You know? So it's not easier or harder in certain areas. And there's different methods that make it you know what it is but when we reference when we reference stuff on here we're talking about our our specific locations you know me having a wall of 120 inch deer i think is equally as impressive as jared's 150 inch deer impressive might not be the right word but it's a similar representation yes of the area so, for example, and we'll, let's go to the fishing factor because we're going to spread out and be in fishing podcasts soon. I just told Dylan that. Actually, I, I have a guest that I could contact to do some ice fishing stuff. Just Perfect. Saying. If I catch a 30-inch walleye, I have a 30-inch walleye in my hands or on my wall, and Dylan comes in and goes, that's a nice fish. I go, thanks, man. He goes, did you catch it at Lake of the Woods? Did you catch it in the Bay of Green Bay or did you catch it on the little old lake down the road? And I, that, that matters. That fish is still equally good. It's a 30 inch walleye, which is Mm -hmm. a a nice walleye. And I think would deserve to be on the wall. But if it comes from Lake of the Woods, if it comes from Green Bay, that's actually probably a bad thing because I hear Lake of the Woods is struggling with small fish, but, um, Lake of the Woods is known for a walleye destination. Yep. So is the Green Bay of Wisconsin. The Rainy River up at Lake of the Woods. Yep, been there. I would say those those locations for a 30-inch walleye decreases the impressiveness of the 30-incher. Because they're readily available. But if I told you I caught that 30-inch walleye down the road here at the little old lake next to me, that would show... That would that would a thirty incher out of here is more impressive mm-hmm. than a thirty incher out of Lake of the Woods. Yeah, I've people can argue that thirty inch. I think they're a thirty inch. I don't know. It was a few years ago. Twenty six a thirty inch walleye. I've caught two, three of them out of Lake of the Woods. However, right. Lake Lake Bronson, Minnesota. I don't know if there's ever been a thirty inch walleye caught there. There's been some big northerns and a few walleye, but I don't know if there's ever been a thirty inch walleye. So, for a perfect example, you catch a forty inch northern out of the lakes by me. That's a nice fish. That's that's put it on the wall. That's the forty inch mark is impressive. But if you go up to Lake Superior by Ashland, mm-hmm. it's still a forty inch fish. It's just as impressive. But you caught it out of the Superior. There's more fish. There's more water. There's more bait. There's more fish to eat. There's so a better what likelihood. What, what we're trying to say, if I were to boil it down, right? If you shoot a one seventy where Kyle hunts versus if you shoot a shoot a one seventy in Iowa you probably had to work harder for the 170 where Kyle hunts because they just don't exist. There's less of a chance. Jared, if you're watching this, we're not saying your bucks aren't impressive. We are very much impressed. It's just representation of the area is the problem that we're running into. Yes, and and we all drooled over Jared's deer. 
So there is no, I'm not taking anything from Jarrett's hunting. He's like, I'm got, waiting for my invite. He's got the better land. He's got the better management practices. It's really not but, fair. But the property costs more. Yeah. Getting down there's harder. There's more, there's less access for hunting down there. So same thing with Buffalo County and Triple O County in Wisconsin. Go get a lease down there. You're paying out the wazoo. Now, I don't think anybody will lease up here, but it wouldn't be that expensive because there's, there's for anybody watching the YouTube version, there's this little guy here. Yeah, a little 110-inch buck. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from it. it. It's a nice deer, especially up here, but Jared probably seen 15 of these. And that's the other issue, too. We're talking different levels of maturity. So it's probably fair to say, I would say, 80% of the bucks genetically in your in your area and in my area have the capability of being 170 inches they just don't live long enough to get there or they don't have enough food source and they're malnourished or the winter got to them and wrecked everything and because i mean we've had times where people don't know what they're doing and they go feed their deer and they'll go drop a third cutting dairy hay bale in february well now this little dumb little fawn comes along and he's like oh this is delicious but it's so much protein, it burns out the little fingers in their stomach, and now they're, they can't absorb nutrients properly to even really grow antlers the right way. So, you know, every area is going to be different, and the goal should be to harvest a mature whitetail regardless of its antler size. But we don't get mature whitetails in Minnesota and Wisconsin in general. Just 90% of the deer, they never make it that far which I think we've talked about at least once on this podcast. If not, I don't know, what episode is this? 27, 27 times have we probably taught, mentioned that in some fashion or another? Yo. Uh, something like that. <laughs> so so we talk about the environment, what it creates as far as what you have access to for deer hunting. I'm not saying there's not 170-inch deer out in the woods. There is. But he's few and far between, and he's probably living a really, really hard life. So you know how you can tell if your deer is struggling. So you said you had a buddy who said that the deer hunting is not that bad. It would be fun to see from his perspective, if he were to go out in June or July, or even when he goes hunting, but everywhere he hunts, take note, how many fawns does each doe have with her? Cause if she has twins, 80% of the does have twins. Your area is probably doing just fine. If 90% of the does have singles, those deer are suffering. Cause what happens is a doe will absorb one of the fetuses in utero to help feed herself and the other fawn if her body can't can't support or sustain that much energy output when she's ha- when she's building her fawns. That's they, the right word. They have a fuel. They have a fuel gauge, mm-hmm. and as as winter ticks by, every day that's longer, that fuel runs down, and once they hit here. That absorption happens, and then you don't get twins, and then you don't, you know. Or any. Or if they hit bottom, they die, and you get winter kill. Um, but we talk about that age class and how we don't have any bucks for maturity. But after Jared's podcast, we had a couple people talk about antler growth. And... I'm going to ask Dylan to use a comparison that the commenter said you cannot compare captive deer to wild deer. And I want to debunk that personally 
because everybody in the deer industry uses captive deer, whether it's a deer hunting preserve or a deer farm or a deer breeding facility, they use that as ground zero or a neutral test. The information that um, Dr. Bronson Strickland gets, which I've watched a lot of his podcasts, a lot of his videos from Mississippi State, they do everything off captive deer. Not everything. They use captive deer as a resource. Mm -hmm. um, a, a guy that knows a lot of things, Don Higgins, he owns Real World Wildlife. Uh, and seed and all that stuff and then he also does consultations and property setups and seminars he owned captive deer and he did a lot of his stuff he found out the mineral that real world uh uses as a as a mineral he used that on his captive captive deer and he said on average so he he did a thing a test and he used his captive deer to do the test and found out that his mineral on average increased on average increased 15% antler growth. So the same deer, they stayed over here. They stayed over here. He fed these ones mineral. He didn't feed this ones mineral. They still got all the food, no stress, all the good stuff. The average score of these deer was 15% higher. Hmm. Captive deer is a very good thing to use as a neutral, as a, yeah. So the comment was made that after five years old, a deer can start going downhill. And the commenter thought that was absolutely insanity. And I commented about Dylan and owning a deer farm or his dad owning a deer farm, him working it for 20 years, 20 years, 10 years, 15 years. Uh, I worked on the farm from when I was able to walk. So 1998, 1999 through well i'm still i was there last week doing stuff with that but i was actively involved on the farm for 20 years give or take and i've been active i've been involved in deer farming for geez i'm almost 29 so 27 26 years of my life i've been actively involved in whitetail deer and everything about them so the statement i made was after five years old the chances of a deer going downhill increases. So if he's five, the chances is this number. And I don't know numbers. There's no evidence for it. I have nothing to prove. But at six years old, his chances are this. And at seven years old, his chances get big greater. Eight years old, chances get even greater to go downhill. So yes, there can be some very impressive eight-year-olds. Yeah, there can be. But so, so one way to think of it too, and I've thought of this a few times, we didn't even talk about this pre-show. If you were to put ages to white-tailed deer, right? So, and there's no, like a dog year is seven years. There's no linear number that I've found right now that works all the way through. Because I'm going to say your yearling bucks are 12-year-old kids. 12-year-old boys, they're like, man, I could be tough. Maybe 14-year-olds. I could be pretty tough. I could maybe take somebody if I wanted to in a fight. And then they get their butt handed to them and they run away kicking and screaming and that's, that's it. 12 to 14 years old, just your testosterone starting to kick in. You might be tough. You're not sure if somebody tells you you're not, then you realize you're not. But if nobody tells you, you think you're pretty tough. Two-year-olds, I would say on average, they're 22, 18 to 22 years old. Like they might have some stuff. You know, if you see people training for UFC boxing and that type of stuff, 18 to 20 year olds, 18 to 22 year olds, they could mess you up. But now get a 
24 to 26, maybe 28, who's been doing it for so long, knows what he's doing, he could kick your butt and be pretty serious about it. But then at four years old, a white tail buck is probably more comparable to, I don't know, when are guys in their prime? 30, if they're lucky. We're starting to run out, run out, right? But if you were a bodybuilder and you're doing things well, maybe not so much a UFC fighter because that takes a different toll, but let's say bodybuilder, right? There's a lot of bodybuilders who are in 30s, you know? I mean, how old is Eddie Hall right now who just broke a few records, what, two, three years ago? Yep, so, yep. I mean, if we want to put it in that perspective. But that's a good that's a good point, Dylan, because even though they're older, they're more efficient. Mm-hmm. They got dad strength, which mm-hmm. is, I mean. Eddie Hall is 35. So if we said that 30 to 35, you're a four-year-old whitetail for your strength, your experience, where you're at in life, pretty good. Now, here's where it starts to get tricky. 35 to 40 especially when you're in construction, you're going to feel it more than I do. Your body starts to hurt, start to go downhill. You're not improving anymore, right? So that could be your five-year-old range, maybe even 35 to 45, right? So now if you look at all of the world or all of America, if you want to be specific, how many guys get stronger and more physically in shape between 45 and 55? At 45 to 55, you're strong, but you're, you're, you're slower, mm-hmm. you're slower, you're, and you're, and you're walking a little different. Yes. Start, if you, you had to go, you could plateau, right? So, yep. and you could go beat up that 18 year old, mm-hmm. but you're going to be a little smarter about it. You're going to hold them out here and you're going to sock them this way. You're not just going to go in flailing your arms and trying to be crazy. You're going to be more efficient. You got more and, wisdom. More wisdom, and when it's done, you're gonna probably be a little more sore mm-hmm. when you walk when you get out of that. So if we that's say a, if 50. we 50, 55 is a five year old whitetail, it almost works to do ten year increments, but it doesn't quite work because they mature so much faster right off the bat. But then if we said at six years old, fifty five to sixty five, that actually might be good. 15 for the first year, 10 for every year after that, I think might work out pretty good. 55 to 65 years old, man, you might still have it. You might not. Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? At 67, he was still able to be a bodybuilder. But two years later, not near the shape he used to be in. You lose it faster. So when I say a buck's going downhill, I mean they're not significantly improving upward. Now, their hill, if you're looking at my hand on YouTube or Facebook, the hill might be a slight angle, but sometimes it can be more of an angle. It depends on how hard your life was first. So there's, in my experience of raising whitetails, and that's what I'm going to point to, I've probably raised well over a 1,000 deer in my life that I've actively been involved in their life at some point, whether it's feeding them daily or whatever. Okay, so well over a 1,000. Of that thousand in ideal situations where no, there's almost no hunting pressure other than the bucks that we want to be harvested, there's no bugs. We spray for the bugs. There's no bugs. They never run out of food 24-7, 365. Never run out of fresh water 24-7, 365. No coyotes, no timber wolves, nothing. It is so hard, even in that situ- setting, to get a buck to live past six years of age. Because they live so hard, they live so fast. 
We've had many nice bucks hit that six-year-old mark. Beautiful set of antlers. Similar to the previous year. I would say plateau. They die. They get an infection. They can't fight it. They die. They get tangled up with a younger buck. He kills them. They die. I mean, there's so many things against them. So when I say downhill... Like it, 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 even in ideal circumstance, it's tough to get a buck to live past that six year old age range. So if you, where you live, and it could be different in other parts of the state, which is why we clarify it or country, we clarify it a little bit earlier that, Hey, if you're in a nice state where it's good, mild temperature all year long with no hunting pressure, if you can guarantee that you have a significant amount of bucks to have a good sample size that you know, are absolutely without a doubt, 100% factual no doubt in your mind, it's one deer that you follow for six years or eight years. Then you have another one that you follow for six or eight years. And you could somehow do that without the constraints of a fence and without the identification of an ear tag. You might be right. Maybe where you are, deer don't go downhill after five. Maybe they go downhill after six, whatever number you want to pick. But in my experience of raising white-tailed deer for almost 30 years, this significant improvement after age five is very unlikely i've only heard of one farmed one farmed deer that was significantly improved between the ages of five and eight and i don't know why but at five years old he was like 170 180 then he kind of plateaued for four years or three two year two three years then like at eight or nine he hit 200 plus inches i don't know but I, I want to debunk that a little bit them inches is based on scores that that humans have generated, mm-hmm. which is time length and mass and spread. That 210 could have been because he's got substantial mass, which we know as a deer gets older, they don't necessarily lose the mass. The oh. pedicle, for anybody on YouTube. The base of the antler that attaches to the skull. This. And the bone underneath it. Gradually gets bigger as the deer gets older. Now. They can have pop can size bases, and that's a genetic thing, and that can be dictated by other things. This pedicle never shrinks. This just gradually gets bigger, and that's what creates more mass in an older buck. So what happens if he got really wide? All of a sudden, something in his antlers at seven years old told him to go 30 inches wide, and he's got five-inch five inch mass measurements because his pedicles are bigger. Mm-hmm. So that score generates this 210 inch score or he's got an injury, which causes antler stuff to happen over here and gets him a bunch of non-typical points. So he scores 210. 210 is a human thing. Mm-hmm. That deer doesn't go, Oh, I got bigger. Yeah. It just, it's the score higher, can be, the also- score can be generated by many different ways. This deer right here, goofy. He probably scores really good. On one but if side. I take, Huh? On one side. No, I bet all that extra. I bet you he his left side, his left side score. Well, okay, deer farm. Sorry, my my experience is saying score is pretty good. His left side. Which side is it, is it inverted in the camera? His left side is a good one or no? This is his good one. Is that left or right? It'd be his left. Yeah, so his left side is going to score pretty good. His right side is going to pale in comparison due to likely an injury of some sort. Right. But, but that's that, that deer scores. I don't have even a clue. 150 inches, 160. Let's say mm-hmm. this eight pointer probably only scores a hundred. Maybe 
Now, I'm not going to say this deer, if if he would, if this eight pointer turned into Goofy the next year, I'm not going to say he's that much bigger of a deer. His score is substantially bigger, mm-hmm. but he's still the same frame. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same general deer. He's the same width. He's, but he's got some trash, and it's a score that the humans made. That's what my point is. So that score is generated by mass measurements, time length, main beams, blah, 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 blah. He gets older and his score jumped up to 210 after plateauing at 170, 180 inches. Mm-hmm. It could be the combination of the inches that we measured. He got really wide. He had extra mass. and Or he had a non-typical thing happen that created, I mean, there's inches and inches of extra points here that that 210 could have done. Mm-hmm. He could have still been this 18 wide, so 20 inch tall whitetail. That's what I'm going to speak on here too. When I say downhill, I mean they lose their antlers can score the same or more. They can, but it's going to be like we're saying here. But they lose shape. Older old bucks lose shape. So if you go back and listen to the podcast we just did with Jordan uh, or Jared. Jared, Jordan, we never done a podcast. We did do a podcast with a Jordan, different person, Jared. Uh, if you go back and look, so he talks about Lucky Seven, who's a beautiful buck. He said it was five years old. And then he showed us his other buck that he shot that year. And he said, they're both five years old, but the ones just, it, he goes up and straight. And I, I asked him, I said, could that buck be older? He said, yeah, it might be older. Because what old bucks do in my experience, they lose their flow. They lose their curvature and they tend to have more sharper turns in their main beams their main beams can actually instead of going out they kind of go up and if you're looking at the video you can see what i'm doing my hands it doesn't really make sense but they just don't flow they lose their curvature so that's typically indicative of an older whitetail and that's what i would say oh that buck's going downhill he doesn't have his curvature anymore he doesn't have his flow he might score the same as the year before he might still be healthy but he's not as pretty as he was the year before he's clearly yep. not doing as well as he was the year before and a, like i said a score is a human factor to get that score is based on a lot of different things but you can tell when a buck gets older they tend to lose what they get their width they, you're saying they go up and out they go tine up, length they lose some width they lose some tine length and they gain mass Yep. So, but so, they, they can add mass to their tines. So if you ever shoot a buck that's got like his tines are the size of a broom handle in thickness, but they're only six inches long, that's an old deer. That's a buck that he's been around the block a time or two because all of his tines, and, they, and I'm saying they carry their mass all the way through to the tip. It's bizarre. That's an older deer. Yep. It's... These are general. These are generalities. These are averages. This is common. I mean, yes. Can a five-year-old score more at six? Can a six-year-old score more at seven? Hundred percent. But the general consensus is that as they get past five, they're starting to look at the decline, and that's both in their structure, their body. They're going to get a big, big pot belly. They're going to get a big chest. They're going to get big shoulders. They're just they're an old, mature buck. In yeah. northern Wisconsin, we don't have them. No. So. I, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, it is kind of a genera- generalization. If you want to put it this way, too, instead of using the term downhill, you can say, well, the buck from a year and a half to five is growing, 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 hits five peaks, usually. 
in my experience, can be different across the nation. Then they plateau for six, maybe seven if they're in perfect health. Then they start decreasing significantly. Yep. That can be another way to look at it too, but downhill to me means no significant improvement. And then to segue into the next controversy that came from Jared's podcast, and it's great. Jared's podcast generated some some conversation and people are which means people are watching and they're watching what we say they were talking about deer drives they said it was all good until we started commenting about deer drives dylan have you ever been involved in deer drives yeah i was the grunt they sent through the woods because i was small i'm still small but i was a small 12 year old and they're like you can go through the woods i just got ran over by a coyote once in the woods that was fun wish i'd had a baseball bat that could have whacked him around right top of the head but yeah, I um, participate in many deer drives. It is a fashion of hunting. And I have too done it. Now, there are so many ways to hunt. The buddy we were talking about that says the, the deer hunting here isn't too bad. He is a public land, swamp, canoe riding, three miles back. He is a bad, bad guy when it comes to hunting. He hunts that way. That way I have no interest in. I have decided with my life I want to buy a piece of property, manipulate it, and control it to how I want to hunt. I have tree stands and I have box blinds. That's how I want to hunt. Mm -hmm. I want to have cameras everywhere. That's how I've chose to hunt. My buddy wants to take a canoe three miles back on public land in the swamp and hunt out of that. That's his choice. There's other people that do deer drives. They hunt opening weekend out of the tree stand and they go, we're pushing woods. That's fine. What my point with deer drives is there are people or association associations or committees that don't like deer drives because they consider it unethical. I don't consider it unethical. I'm not interested in it because the buddies I would have do with the deer drive. I don't want to stand in front of with a rifle. Just saying, I, I'm. I don't want to be that guy, so I'm gonna hunt by myself. Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, I don't consider it unethical. It's just not a style I want to use. Yeah, but there are associations that, that think deer drives are unethical. They also are the same people that tend to think baiting is unethical. I don't care, and and that's that's your choice, and I, I whatever, whatever. I don't care. We weren't saying it was bad. It's just. Based on the association that you're talking about, some people decline to approve deer drives. They don't like deer drives. And I don't want to hunt deer drives. I don't want to push these deer all around. I want to have a nice controlled space and, mm -hmm. and manage that land. Jared sounds like he's the same way. He wants to manage his land, not pressure him. If there is any pressure, it's you creating that pressure, and it's very tactical. But by all means, if it's legal... And it creates the camaraderie or puts the family together or it harvests an animal that you get to share at dinner time. And that's the way you want to do it. Do it. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. If you want to push a chunk of woods and at the end of the day, when there's a deer on the ground, whether a doe spike monster buck, and it puts all the family together and somebody was excited and somebody's happy and gets wrapped their tag around it. I don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. So, I don't, I don't remember what was said in that. It, it, the connotation that we we kind of implied, 
at least the way it sounded by reading the comment, that the particular individuals who were doing the deer drives shoot anything that runs by and they don't care about management. Well, I would I would say it's fair to assume a lot of deer drives are done that way. Granted, it might be to fill doe tags. Well, then shoot your does, whatever. Uh, but at least growing up when I was doing our deer drives, shoot, we shot everything that came out. Uh, I mean, but we had a party of like 15 people with five days apiece. We'd spend the entire last weekend doing deer drives, covering everybody's piece of woods that we had that was in the group. We had permission to hunt. In a 30-mile square, I shot my biggest buck I ever harvested on a deer drive. But we're not saying that that particular individual who was discussed or commented was doing deer drives willy-nilly, shooting whatever they want. Yeah, you can do deer drives and still do management practices. We we just we don't know. We're not in your group. We weren't invited. You didn't invite us. I wish you'd invite us. It would have been really fun. I enjoyed it. I'm really good at walking through tall cattails. I mean, I'm short. I got to like tie a stick to my back and put the orange hat on top or something, but I'm really good at walking through cattails. So if you guys need somebody next year, I'd like to come. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's fun, but I think we did have some, I think there was uh, accidental negative implications that assumed things about people on our end. That was not our intention. There's lots of ways to enjoy this sport. Uh, one of the one of my favorite memories memories doing deer drives. I wasn't even I didn't even get a big buck, but the uh, group we were with, it was my adopted grandma. She adopted me and my brothers, and we went out hunting. And we would go do deer drives at her place. She's got a bunch of farmland, and then she'd have like a thirty acre chunk of woods or twenty acre chunk of woods in the middle of this farmland. And she wanted her tags filled. She'd go buy her tags, 72, 78 years old. She'd go buy her tags and then come with and sit in the pickup or sit on a lawn chair. And one of us boys would sit next to her and hold a rifle. And she would, we'd send people through the woods and deer would come out and she'd point them out to us. It was a great time. 13, 14 years old with my adopted grandma. Fantastic time. Some of my favorite memories of hunting. We don't do it anymore, mostly because we're sick of walking. Mm -hmm. Kyle, you've seen the woods up here. It ain't no fun at all to walk yep. through these woods. It's we, rough. We pushed a pro we pushed a chunk of uh, public land, and the best thing that came from it was my brother found a um, a nice mainframe eight. It was chewed up by a. It was last year's shed, or it was the year mm -hmm. before a shed. But we pushed it. No deer came out. We're like. Where's the deer? But he walked up and he had a huge shed. And I remember being little and I was I was at that 14, 16 age, you know, couldn't drive yet, but I was pretty young. And he like walks up, he goes, Look what I found at the base of a tree on this shed. I thought it was the coolest thing. He just handed it to me. He goes, Here you go. And like at that point, I'm just like, and it was it was it is huge. It is a huge deer. Mm -hmm. At that point, it was the biggest shed ever. You know, it makes yeah. these look small. Um but like that was, I mean, that was a memory. That's a memory that I'll stick with. And it was from a deer drive. So it's just what we're trying, what I'm trying to say is some people argue the means in which you do it. It's a, it's a poor thing in this industry that we, we nitpick. I'm, I'm not a fan of crossbows. You don't do it the way I do it. So I do it better than you. And I'm better than you are. Cause I do it different. No, Yes. we're all hunting. Shut up. 
You're stupid. Yep. As long as you eat the food, yep. you appreciate the harvest, and you're doing it to be part of a Safe. family. Yep. Safe. I got to say, when I, I hope my cousin will probably never listen to this. I got a lot of cousins. But, hey, I ain't going to mention you by name. But when you were like 12 to 14 years old, we pushed probably in a weekend, I bet we pushed five to 600 acres. I mean, we were cruising. Some of this was state land. And this poor kid, too young to carry a rifle, comes out of the woods crying, 13, 14 years old. And we're like, what's going on? And he's like, I stepped over a log. And I put my foot down and almost stepped on two coyotes, and they scared me so bad. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, That's all right. Guy. Hey, if any of my cousins do listen to this, text me which one you think it was, because <laughs> he has a lot of siblings. So. <laughs> so that's 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 the recap from you know we've talked to haunted outdoors those guys Great that was time fun. With those guys and for those of you that are listening. If you like those guys, they are potentially starting their own podcast because that's what I do. I influence people, and then they take what they did with us, and they go do it better. Yeah, but we better be their guests. Oh, at some point, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, that's the – I mean, this podcast was kind of just not to fill in, but um, – I think I'm going to call it, it Battling the Doldrums. Yeah. Battling it's just a review of what's been going on. We, we've – Open invite to Jared. Open invite to Haunted Guys. Um, anybody else that wants to be a guest, I have actually a list of people I want to start poking the bear at and be like, hey, we want you on. Yeah, I have um, two or three people, too. We got to start doing that. This is actually, I think, the first This is the first podcast in the last three, four, where it's just been you and me. Yep. Yep. So it's just a review of what's kind of gone on, what we're working with. We're waiting for... The weather to break. We're waiting for spring. Pray that that comes soon. Um, that's all I got. That's all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. And movie is like a box of chocolates. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I know my movie references, but anyway, we kind of were just. This is basically just a tangent podcast. I mean, we covered some good stuff. Thanks for listening. Uh, Kyle's got one more thing to say. Because we haven't said it yet in this podcast. CWD is fake. Kidding. CWD, DNR, um, fading and feeding, and there, now it's in this podcast. Now it's yeah, in the monologue. Didn't, didn't somebody text you and say, hey, I'm kind of sick of hearing about baiting and feeding. And Hey, I totally appreciate the honesty. He's like, oh, I wasn't trying to be trying to dig. Um, it's another buddy of mine, but he has watched every episode. He's listened to every episode. So I, I appreciate you, him very sir. much. But it is a fact of as as passionate as me and Dylan are about the DNR and CWD and, and everything that's going on there. For example, he wants to hear, he would love to sit down with Jared and he wants to know how, why, when that deer, how, why. And and that's what I, t- I actually text Dylan and said we should do a like show and tell. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is a deer I found on this, you know, tree stand, blah, blah, blah. This is a deer I shot doing this way. And we're more storyline, show and tell, talk about antlers and stuff like that. Um, I appreciate the criticism because if he's willing to listen to 27 episodes. Criticism, suggestion. Suggestion. But 
if he's willing to listen to 27 episodes, I want to give him what he wants too. And that's the haunted guys. I'd love to get there. You know, let's get them back on Jared back on. Um, get my brother. Anybody on. that got hunting stories. Yep. No so one could tell us all about the 529 pound bear he shot. Yep. Just saying that kid but, had a streak of luck. I'm just going to say that he had a streak of luck hunting. When he was between like 12 and 16, he could go sit anywhere and shoot a 120-inch buck. Brody, one year, sat in the same stand for four or five days of rifle season, couldn't get a deer. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to – I didn't see a deer. He's like, I'm going to go sit in a different stand tonight. Nolan, at like two years younger, is like, I'll take your stand. Goes and sits, whacks a 120-inch buck at like 20 yards. Just stupid luck. So we got stories. There's all sorts of hunting stories. I got a story that – my sister-in-law, I can't imagine she'll ever listen to this, but she sat in a tree stand, sat, sat, sat. Finally, she had to work one day, so she didn't sit. Oh, I think it was my dad sat in her tree stand. Buck walked in, boom, shot it. <laughs> I had to laugh listening to that ep- that ep- that uh, episode with the guys from Haunted. Eric's like, yeah, well, best buck I ever got was because I had to poop. <laughs> yep. Held up his buddy. So anyways, we... Well, in the tree stand. Yeah, we're we we could talk. We'll talk hunting some more, because that's what we're here for. We do have subjects we're passionate about, and we apologize. Unless you want to hear more, we haven't even touched upcoming Minnesota gun laws, potential gun laws. I haven't even no, touched it. But I can't let a podcast go without DNR, CWD, and regulations and feeding. There, it's in this podcast. Can't say so. My buddy, my buddy, there, it's still there. I gotta leave. I gotta have it in there. But uh, might yeah, have to get him a number one fan shirt or something at some point. We should, we should the only fan shirt. Wait, that's something different. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so we segue out closing. Are please. done here. Uh, if you enjoyed our content, please let us know in the comments somewhere. If you found us on Facebook or YouTube, uh, let us know. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We're open to suggestion. When we speak English, we're open to constructive criticism, suggestions. If you think we're wrong, tell us what you think we're wrong about, and we'll tell you what we meant or what we're not wrong about. Maybe you're wrong. That's possible. You well, could be you wrong. You're wrong. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a floating head in a camel background. We don't know. But thank you for watching. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook. So look up 10 Point Whitetails on both of those items. You can find us at 10 Point Whitetails on TikTok and Instagram. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere else. Fine podcasts are aggregated. That's a fun word. At Lessons of the Woods. Uh, we come, we produce and let new episodes fly every Friday at 7 p.m. Central Time because we live in Minnesota and Wisconsin. None of this Ohio crap where the time zone is different. Or Western North Dakota. Is it? I think it's Ohio. I might be wrong. It happens. So, find us where you found us. In the meantime, get through the winter doldrums. You'll be fine. There's hope. We'll be here. Catch you next time.